0: Welcome to The Non-Existent Story, a storytelling podcast featuring classic, obscure, and non-existent works of fiction.
1: While it is true that nighttime devours the day, it is doubly true that every morning the sun returns to frighten away the cowardly
0: darkness. Subscribe to hear the stories on YouTube, iTunes, or Stitcher, and read them online at non-existentstory.com
1: no power here. Be gone! <laughs> we shall soon see who has the power here,
0: And now, here are your hosts, Casey Drosin and Hannah Oom. Um.
1: Good evening and welcome to this our third episode of season two of the non-existent story. I am Casey and I'm joined here by the the luscious and lively Hannah. Who has brought us two tales of dot dot dot? Uh,
0: good evening, and my focus for my excerpts uh, for this week's episode will will be the the intersecting point between uh, psychology um, and science fiction.
1: Ooh, so sci-fi? Sci-fi? We call it sci-fi. We can call it sci-fi. Okay, I like that. Okay,
0: Mm-hmm. Once up, Wilder's face was crotch level to the man across the train car. He didn't like the view, but train commutes were invariably faster for Wilder than walking. He couldn't drive in this world of is. A baby cried. Comfortable enough, he sipped his coffee and pretended, like the other commuters, not to notice the baby, or its loudly shushing mother, or Wilder's own crotch. His penis bulged, obviously, under his slacks, like a giant rubber dreidel, pushing past his knees and slumping towards the floor. In Wilder's fantasy world, that is, the world of if, and not is... Jungles grew from skyscrapers, and he had only to gather a vine in his hands to swing from building to building. The only time of day was twilight, and the only kind of coffee was dark-roast Colombian, and currency operated on a barter system of objects that only started with vowels. "'Excuse me,' said the woman with the baby. "'Can I sit here?' Wilder dragged his massive hand off the adjacent seat. It thumped onto the floor his thin shoulder torqued from the strain. Thank you, he nodded. Operating in the world of if simplified a lot of things for Wilder. He had fewer evolutionary advantages in is. Only one, in fact, came to mind, his lips of similar size and shape to a Venus flytrap. They smacked so loudly when he ate. They had become a source of personal delight. Unfortunately, his tongue was far too large for it to fit behind them, which prevented other things like legible speech or whistling. The woman's baby continued to cry. It had red hair and a red face. Besides that, it looked very much like Wilder. They were roughly the same size. Wilder wondered if it was an ugly baby or a pretty baby. Babies were born much larger in the world of if, but without eyes. Those did not develop until later. Other, more important senses developed first, and by the time eyes arrived, they were of little use. For this reason, there was almost no staring in the world of if. Or, if there were, and if they did, it was from heads as bulbous and domed, and from eyes as vacant and blue as Wilder's own. The baby cooed at Wilder. The woman laughed. Oh, now he's in a good mood. Do you like the nice man, sweetheart? I'm sorry he's just so cranky in the morning. Wilder shrugged, which caused his chin to bump his navel. Oh, but he likes you. Yes, you like the nice man, don't you? The baby burped and its eyes flared wide, clear whites around cornflower blue. Perhaps another traveler from if, Wilder considered, returning to his coffee. End.
1: That's really interesting, Um, and I have questions and comments, Um, but I'm ready for the next one. Okay, Uh,
0: I'll, I'll jump ahead then into excerpt two. Billy had committed himself in the middle of his final year of the Ilium School of Optometry. Nobody else suspected that he was going crazy. Everybody else thought he looked fine and was acting fine. Now he was in the hospital. The doctors agreed. He was going crazy. Signed to the bed next to Billy's was a former infantry captain named Elliot Rosewater. Rosewater was sick and tired of being drunk all the time. It was Rosewater who introduced Billy to science fiction, and in particular to the writings of Kilgore Trout. Rosewater had a tremendous collection of science fiction paperbacks under his bed. He had brought them to the hospital in a steamer trunk. Kilgore Trout became Billy's favorite living author, and science fiction became the only sort of tales he could read. Rosewater was twice as smart as Billy, but he and Billy were dealing with a similar crisis in similar ways. There was a still life on Billy's bedside table. Two pills, an ashtray with three lipstick-stained cigarettes in it, one cigarette still burning, and a glass of water. The cigarettes belonged to Billy's chain-smoking mother. She had sought the ladies' room. She would be back at any moment now. Billy covered his head with his blanket again. He always covered his head when his mother came to see him in the mental ward. Always got much sicker until she went away. It wasn't that she was ugly or had bad breath or a bad personality. She was a perfectly nice, standard-issue, brown-haired, white woman with with a high school education. She upset Billy simply by being his mother. She made him feel embarrassed and ungrateful and weak because she had gone to so much trouble to give him life and to keep that life going, and Billy didn't really like life at all. Billy heard Elliot Rosewater come in and lie down. Rosewater's bed springs talked a lot about that. Rosewater was a big man, but not very powerful. He looked as though he might be made out of nose putty. (laughs) And then Billy's mother came back from the ladies' room, sat down on a chair between Billy and Rosewater's bed. Rosewater greeted her with a melodious warmth, asked how she was today. He seemed delighted to hear that she was fine. He was experimenting with being ardently sympathetic with everybody he met. He thought that might make the world a slightly more pleasant place to live in. He called Billy's mother dear. He was experimenting with calling everybody dear. Someday, she promised Rosewater, I'm going to come in here, and Billy is going to uncover his head, and do you know what he's going to say? What's he going to say, dear? He's going to say, Hello, Mom, and he's going to smile. He's going to say, Gee, it's good to see you, Mom. How have you been? Today could be that day. Every night I pray. That's a good thing to do. People would be surprised if they knew how much in this world was due to prayers. You never said a truer word, dear. Does your mother come to see you often? My mother is dead, said Rosewater. So it goes. I'm sorry. At least she had a happy life as long as it lasted. That's a consolation anyway, yes. Billy's father is dead, you know, said Billy's mother. So it goes. A boy needs a father. And on and on it went, the duet between the dumb praying lady and the big hollow man so full of loving echoes. He held a book he wanted to read, but he was much too polite to read and talk, too, easy as it was to give Billy's mother satisfactory answers. The book was Maniacs in the Fourth Dimension by Kilgore Trout. It was about people whose mental diseases couldn't be treated because the causes of their diseases were all in the fourth dimension, and three-dimensional earthling doctors couldn't see those causes at all or even imagine them. One thing Trout said that Rosewater liked very much was that there, were, there really were vampires and werewolves and goblins and angels and so on, but that they were all in the fourth dimension. So was William Blake, Rosewater's favorite poet, according to Trout. So were Heaven and Hell. And that is the end
1: of excerpt two. Wow, this is a lot to um, a lot to work with. These are both like very, very, um, very concentrated uh, excerpts or, or, or fragments. Um, I, I guess this notion of, of um, psychological science fiction has a uh, Has to do with certain kinds of coping mechanisms that two people have who have found themselves or have found reality to be totally inadaptable. So, what's kind of foregrounded in both is not so much that, like, oh, they're such freaks, but although they kind of are, but rather that their freakishness is kind of like dependent or is a response to a really insufficient everyday life and that insufficient everyday life or like the the traitness of it the the world of is or the the kind of artificial pleasantry of it is in both cases kind of like embodied by this figure of the mother so i was wondering what you think about this like this maternity in one case wilder's um being, you know, while they're being on the train and across from him representing and embodying the world of is, is like the mother and the baby. And then um, the sort of traitness that Billy is increasingly detached from that traitness is kind of also embodied by uh, his mother and his problematic relationships with her. So what do you think maternity is doing in both of these? Um,
0: I don't know so much that it would represent something reprehensible as maybe it's, it's the last connection that people have um, mm-hmm. with what's, what's holding them to reality. And for that very reason, it's kind of hated um, or pushed away. Because if, if it's your last tether, but you're not really wanting to be tethered, then you kind of create make it into a caricature and, and, and push it away, I think. Um, okay. So it's, it's the last connection, but it also becomes a very distorted one. I think.
1: And just, yeah, because, like, the, a sense of, like, origin and the sort of primitive, like, the 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 essential human bond is kind of represented than in the mother-child. And so, yeah, the, because it, as you said, it's, like, it becomes their tether. Um, so it, then that, that I was just struck by that. I mean, then to talk, like, more about the, um, yeah, the first one. so um, the... It's interesting to me how, like, this, there's these moments of, like, intersection in, when, when, as he's oscillating between his imaginary fantasy world. This is a world of Wilder's own creation, or is it borrowed from another source? Um, we don't know if it's a real
0: world that Wilder has access to or if it's fantasy, I think.
1: Okay. But, like... It, it could be, so it could be a real the, the the terms of the story could be that there is a world of if and like that's a reality within that fiction. They could be that it's someone else's idea, and that while there was really you know captivated by it, or it could just be a particular like I, I kind of thought of it as a coping mechanism. Like he's created this sort of this fantasy world um, that is realer to him, and it compensates in some ways for the. The, yeah, the insufficiency of, of the of the real world, but then what what was interesting to me is how much. Um like the descriptions of his body were like made him impossible to actually picture. <laughs> He's like this totally surreal being like so it starts out with like the phallic area and then there's this kind of like on the one hand like oh something awkward and like that would definitely not be a thing that you'd want to do in public and versus like this hyper he-man tarzan thing and swinging on a vine so like the the phallic image kind of rotates <laughs> And like it, 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 it becomes like a little revolving door that allows you to pass from like the the awkward thing of getting a heart on in public as a grown man probably to you know being a, a macho tarzan kind of eepish figure so he kind of does seem like a gorilla in in many ways, in fact, yeah, but a very tiny one um, he's he
0: 's almost the size of a baby.
1: He's almost the size of a baby, but he has giant hands and a fragile, a fragile shoulder. Um, he has, he has these also, um, kind of reminiscent of sexual organ lips, like the Venus flytrap lips, which is more of like a, a female genitalia kind of image that he smacks. So it's very, very, like... But it's it's not obscene ever, which I found interesting. There's something kind of pathetically comical about it. Um, and then when he shrugs, his nose almost touches his belly button or his head almost... His chin. His chin almost touches his belly button. So he's trying to picture this amorphous being and he, he has, like, these big bulbous eyes, right, that are kind of vacant and then, like, a domed head. So does yeah. he look like a? What does he look like to you? How do you picture his? Well, it's 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 hard to
0: get out of the the excerpt that I chose, and maybe deliberately. But are you familiar with um, humunculus? A little bit,
1: yeah. I um, yes. So he's he is a humunculus. Okay, so like this is kind of I think it's like a German concept, right? Of like the like original man. There's some some German movie I saw where it's like the, the most like reduced kind of meat. well yeah it
0: started it, it started with the concept of um in, in one semen you have a fully formed human being that's just very, very small. Yeah. And when it's when it's when the woman is impregnated that, that being becomes larger. Right. But then that that theory came with the whole but that means that within every semen there's another semen that's a perfectly formed and then with that there's another and it goes on um, infinitely. Um, so, but this is a very old concept that actually came into existence with alchemy. So in like the 14th century, 15th century? Okay. Um, like- but Go the the the, humo- the the concept of the homunculus in psychology is actually associated with the motor and sensory mapping of the brain. So uh, a, a very famous image is if you just looked at the parts of the brain that are devoted to different motor and sensory functions, as a as a representation of what the human body would look like, it's completely distorted. And that distortion of the brain to the body is what they call a sensory or a uh, a motor homunculus. And it's this terrifying puppet like image of this tiny creature with these massive hands that are like three sa- like twice as large as the rest of the body, and then these tiny, tiny torso, and then a giant big toes, but the rest of their feet are very small, a small head and a massive mouth, and it's, it's all directly correlated to brain mapping. So that's how modern psychology references the concept of the homunculus.
1: Interesting. So if it were actually like, the way the, if the correspondences in the brain were actually like literalized suit like mm-hmm. size and proportions you would it, it could look something like um, something like wilder um, yes so it uh, then and, well, or at least how how wilder believes believes himself to look yeah okay because it could also be like a sort of highly distorted self-perception and hmm. that's really interesting and then i think that like that this kind of like uh playful almost like fairy tale world of if world of is that is very very simple um and it's in its title works well to make because you could just have this kind of like freakish description of this freakish being and instead you have kind of like this this place of perception and there's like a I don't know kind of like a playful fairy tale quality to it too that otherwise it wouldn't have mm um, And then is the train a very important thing? Because it starts off with that. Like, he prefers the train because he doesn't like to drive. Is it because he can't drive? Right. Or
0: he he can't drive in the world of is, um, probably because he would be too small to operate a vehicle. And he can't walk to work because it would take him too long because he's only, like, half a meter tall. So, I mean, if there was more, you'd be able to tell. But as it is, you're kind of operating on less. But, yes, that's why he prefers to commute on the
1: train. Okay. Um, yeah, and I would want to know, like, really, if, if he actually, if, if it would be interesting if the story could, over, like, a long period of time, maintain an, an ambiguity as to if he actually looks like that. Because the mother is interacting with him as if he were anyone else. Mm-hmm. So it could entirely just be his, like... He's read too much psychology, and at one point he, he lost his he lost his reason. Um, so then we have uh, so then we have Billy, and I think what was interesting were striking to me, and that was I really liked the dialogue play back and forth that had like this Joycean quality almost to it, um, and his different kind of like modes of of coping with things. Were not necessarily out of like insincerity so he's like I'm gonna be really pleasant to everyone it's not and it you can kind of see it as a sort of like kind of goodwilled sense of desperation in that and then the the really hypersensitivity to certain details um, I thought was like like you, you can kind of get this sense of like zooming in very very sharply that seems to like suggest that he's also like kind of trying to hold on to something mm-hmm. he, But, I mean, one has the sense in this one that the situation is not sustainable, that you're kind of, like, about to crash into something. Whereas, (laughs) like, I think, like, with Wilder, it just seems to be, like, here's, this is a state of being, and for for some reason it's maintained some sort of equilibrium where it oscillates, and it seems like it could kind of do that indefinitely. Whereas Billy's situation seems to not be sustainable for very, very long. Yeah, I don't know if you think that that is true? Well,
0: with with Billy, there's there's more of a feeling of of, of desperation and certainly more a a presence of, of or hinted at suicidal ideation. Um, so so that combined with kind of his dynamic with with Elliot Rosewater, who's the one having the conversation with the mother in the end, and yeah. then his kind of pushing away of his mo- hiding under a blanket. When his mother visits him in the hospital, it, it seems like this, this cannot continue that something is going to happen for the better or the worse, but it will be only one of those two things.
1: And what's the name of the author of the uh, it's maniacs in the fourth dimension maniacs in the fourth dimension by Kilgore trout, Kilgore trout would Kilgore trout be a character at some point hypothetically, in this story, or really in this story. I don't know how to ask this question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would certainly hope so, because he sounds fascinating. I know, right? Like, you feel like you'd want an encounter, because it seems like some of the... It's interesting, because, like, the... as, As opposed to, like, the Don Quixote tradition, where, like, the books and the fantasy world are kind of what, like, lose someone to call someone to lose their grips with reality in this case like he already has lost it and he's just fine he finds an explanation for it in this book like some which is i guess what we find in a lot of books actually is like oh that's my neuroses so i get that mm-hmm. um, but it would like it feels like an encounter either he would just commit suicide um or it, you know things would just get very very dark um, which they're not because of this kind of funny, like, detachment that you get that keeps it kind of humorous. Or he would have some encounter with the author or with the book that could possibly, like, change his understanding of, like, what's what's going on. So, um, I don't know. Do you think, like, the book could pose some sort of, like, restorative? Or, like, does the book have more to do with, like, how helping or harming his kind of suicidal ideation?
0: Well, I I don't know if I could address it as in helping or harming, but definitely the the appeal with these two excerpts and these two stories is that dynamic between um, psychological illness and the genre of science fiction. So – yeah, he, they talk about the science, like a science fiction writer, but that's not necessarily re- a rejection of his concepts uh, mm-hmm. as true or false necessarily. Right. He just has a more objective tone with Billy versus um, with the other story with Wilder. It's it's more, there's there's less of a delineation between what is necessarily reality and what is probably not Um outside of his head
1: okay um yeah no the, i feel like the the reader of, of science fiction as a as a character is seems to be somehow different sometimes from other kinds of readers um well i'm going to guess okay um should i justify it or should i just say it and then you can tell me then i'll it's totally up to you. I usually
0: just guess first in case my justification is wrong. I don't embarrass myself.
1: But <laughs> if you're confident, <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Um, but I feel like um, I feel like the dialogue and the tone of the dialogue suggests to me that you wrote the second one. Which one did I read second?
0: The second one is, is that Billy. way. Okay. Uh, I wrote the first one. Really?
1: Oh my god! Really? No, I got one wrong. Yeah.
0: Um, but right, well, yeah, but maybe because now. Kurt Kurt Vonnegut
1: wrote the second one. That was Slaughterhouse Five. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Heard, I haven't read the book in a really long time, apparently, because I don't remember that at all. Yeah. No, I, I got the idea
0: of it actually. I think from a previous conversation that we had um, talking about Kurt Vonnegut. But yeah, that's that's pulled from Slaughterhouse Five.
1: I do remember there's the troglodytes from, or I think that's what he calls them from the, there's a fourth dimensional character. Yeah, like Trill Formidians or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Wow, so the first one's Jude. That's really
0: good. Thank you. I'm impressed. Thank you. Well, I just thought that, I'll I'll have to post an image of the sensory homoculus. I thought it was the most terrifying and kind of cool thing at the same
1: time. And it seemed to lend itself to science fiction. It certainly does, uh, and I, I feel like I, I've come across this concept in, like, a different context, but there's, I'm trying to remember, there's a German movie that I've seen in which the homunculus is a character, but in its alchemical state. It has to do with, like, I think that's why I associate with Germany. I think it has to do I with, like, some, what's that? Classically, it's, it's just tiny
0: people. You think yeah, so no, yeah,
1: no, this is, like, a sort of, like, it was, like, a fetal sort of thing, but it also had, like, a human face, but it... I, I need to I'll have to look up the movie and then we can talk about it or whatever. Um, because it had a kind of monstrous character and not just like a mini me sort of thing to it. Um, so wow, well, man, I, I'm shamed, I'm hardly ashamed of myself that I did <laughs> not recognize an excerpt from slaughterhouse House Five. <laughs> which we had talked about. And even when he described in detail the mappings of uh, of uh, psychology and how the how the I sh- that should have been a clue, but I was like, oh. frankly, I thought it was just too good for you to write it. Oh well, that was my that was my mistake. I underestimated you, um, which seldom happens, actually. Um, but yeah, so it's really good, and I think you should write it like as a well. I'm glad person.
0: you like it. In between, I kept being I'm afraid I was towing the line between weird and is this kid? What's the deal with I, I feel uncomfortable when an excerpt this short has, like, massive penis and sitting next to baby kind of involved. <laughs> uh, but
1: but that was not what I was going for. <laughs> I mean, I don't think the baby would really be that threatened. I think they're probably the least threatened of, of any <laughs> any demographic by giant penises on trains.
0: Mm.
1: Um, well, yeah, no, I, well, that was also kind of another thing is that you, know, you don't usually go uh, – you don't usually go phallic. I know. I, I had to. I had to come up with something different. It took a phallic turn
0: for the word. <laughs> yeah.
1: But you know, it's it's quite elegant, and I think it's. Uh, I I don't know that you. It, it works really well as a shorter piece. I don't think you'd want it to be like a novel or anything. I don't think it would work as because you have to
0: the the. It only pulls it off because there's so much ambiguity in it, and you can only keep that up for so long. Unless you're you're delving into the more magic realism, which I wasn't, I wanted this to be like: is this real science fiction or is this all in this dude's head? Um, so Ooh. I don't think I could do that long term.
1: Yeah, no, and it's kind of like a, a portrait. I think it's a it's it's really quite good. I think you could like try publishing it somewhere. Um, but that's just my my biased take. Because if it's good enough to fool me, it must be brilliant. <laughs> This is how I'll say face. So embarrassing. Um, But uh, how was the... Did you read Vonnegut and then get this? Because that seems unlikely. I feel like you would have worked the other way around for this one. No, I
0: had... uh, Well, I'd originally not... I wasn't even going to reference Kurt Vonnegut. There was another short story that I wanted to reference um, because I wanted a contrast between... Originally, dissociation. So people who... uh, disassociate with their own bodies, um, but not in the sense of, like, eating disorder or see certain flaws amplified within their own bodies, but completely disconnect and attribute their own appearances um, in a totally different way, but are kind of objectified from it, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a thing. And I'd read one short story about it, which I thought was very good, but I couldn't find it anywhere. So I had to think, well, what other weird, what other sci-fi kind of psychological stories are there and Kurt Vonnegut immediately came to mind and I was thinking originally of using referencing Galapagos because he does that in in that novel as well but more recently than reading Galapagos I had read Slaughterhouse-Five actually when I was visiting friends in Ohio so I thought that 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 also worked kind of well but I had to edit out a lot of little parts that were clues which I thought you would get like it talks a bit more about them feeling suicidal because of his experience in Dresden and seeing the firebombing. I was like, no, Dresden wouldn't have
1: given it away. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah. Apparently. Yeah. I haven't read that in a really long time. So. so I was a little, I
0: was a little sneaky about my, um, I, I will say it was selective, uh, excerpt. I took, I took a bits and pieces out here and there.
1: I like the, um, I like the intersection though. I think it's there. There genres that make sense to, uh, to bring together um, I don't know uh, I, Cody showed me this uh, it, it's kind of a parody of a podcast it's a parody of a podcast um, done by like a typical nerd podcast in which they just talk about how awesome something is in this case Star Wars mm. so so he <laughs> presents you this room with these three guys and they all have their like Star Wars t-shirts or whatever and behind them is every ridiculous, like, merchandising that you can imagine. And next to this one guy's head, there's hanging down, like, one of those little spaceships. I don't remember. And it keeps, like, swinging slightly in the breeze. With, like, poking him in the eye every time he turns. <laughs> and he never moves to stop it. It's just keeps <laughs> going the whole time. So they just talk about <laughs> – basically, it's, like, this empty fanboy talk where they um, they just kind of gush over – uh, the new the rogue legacy or whatever the new star wars is but the point when this kind of like long-winded thing is it's very funny and i definitely recommend it is that there the line between really liking certain science fiction books and being insane is is not always entirely firm it's not
0: clear and that's there's a whole other discussion between i mean what is versus isn't a healthy relationship with reality um,
1: yeah or with, with or what fantasy. is it isn't crazy or fantasy, fantasy. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think usually the idea is um things that are like a work that questions some of the the values or the legitimacy of so-called normality is usually where where it's interesting um so i I think the only thing that I would maybe like do differently in the in the wilder one is that you might want to flesh out just a little bit the woman in Baby characters, so they don't seem just like parodies of like '50s housewives. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no. i way, if the world like of to make it into a short story, two. I
0: would definitely.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Obviously, it's fine for now because the emphasis is overwhelmingly on the language that is used to. Yeah. The 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 detail with ellipses is really good, and the um. The description indirectly through like certain gestures, so that you have to piece it together. Like, it's, like really, did it take you a while?
0: Um, it took me a few hours, yeah. But mostly because I'm a slow writer, so I'll write like a paragraph and then I'll read over it seven or eight times and I'll rework it before I move on to the next one. Which apparently you're not supposed to do, but that's that's how I write. Bad.
1: Uh, I think you should do that. I wish more people would. Um based on my experience of reading a lot of people's writing, which is what I do. Um, well, this was great. Um, and I'm very excited uh, for you to put them on our website because you're not very good at that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, no, I had to figure out that I can't use – I have to, with for some reason with this computer, I have to use this, a very particular browser in order to
1: upload anything
0: onto WordPress.com. Oh, we,
1: okay. Yeah. Well, we have more so followers a- on the website for some reason. Really? I got like six random likes from random people, so uh, our our audience is growing. Oh, six! Yeah, that's that's more than two. I know, and I don't it even can't just know. be you and I, me. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, no, it's they're like people in like other countries and stuff too. So I don't know mean, the WordPress community, and, but anyway, well, this was fascinating, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what uh, illustration you choose. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> For these perhaps you'll uh, you'll end up like illustrating it yourself. Um but yeah, so uh, yeah. Homuncul- homunculus itself is a great topic for Oh, for yeah. Stars.
0: I I got really excited when I was reading into it. I was like, man, I could I could go on about the homunculus idea or or the cortex man. This is the I guess technical term for I'll, there's some strange images definitely.
1: Um I bet. not well, did you ever read the rat man, Freud's case study? No, I didn't. I actually I
0: kind of loathe Freud, but but that's a conversation for another time. Yes, yes. Um, it's a conversation
1: that we've had before, so maybe we don't have See? to have it online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's fair enough. All right. Well, uh, then I'm going to I'm going to sign us off then. Is yeah, so this was delightful. Um, the titles. Oh, obviously, slaughterhouse five is one of them. <laughs>
0: Uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, and for the one I wrote, it's going to either be just Homunculus or Commute of the Cortex Man.
1: Commute of the Cortex Man.
0: Yeah. Or something else. I on. don't think
1: either. I don't like
0: either of those. I don't like either.
1: Yeah. I think Homunculus gives it away. Mm-hmm. You should have to deduce that. And Commute of the Cortex Man uh, makes it sound too B-movie-ish. But it's science fiction. Yeah, but is it? I think you just do World of If or something like that.
0: World of If.
1: World of Is or oh. World of Is or something. I don't know. One of the, the understated ones Venus Flytrap. <laughs> Vagina face man. <laughs> and sorry, I'm gonna we're and we're gonna end on that. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.